Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Boy, yesterday was a really fun day around Georgia football. Got a chance to hear from a couple of guys we just don't hear from very much. You know, Georgia kind of sort of operates on the kind of one voice version of its team. That means we hear from Kirby a good bit. The assistant coaches speak like once a year, even if that, when you talk about a position coach. But when you do get a chance to hear from Dan Lanning, Glenn Sh- Dan Lanning, oh boy, that's <laughs> last year. Dan Lanning's in Oregon now. Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp, like we did earlier this week. Or yesterday, hearing from Del McGee, Todd Munkin, I, I think you're like me probably, and you just listen in closely, you lean in a little bit more, because these are rare commentaries. You'll hear from Munkin probably again at the end of the year, hopefully and presumably in the college football playoff, but this time of year, you, this is your one chance to get his sort of state of the offense, and then he is uh, going back to work behind the scenes, getting this offense ready to play. Del McGee's a position coach. You might not even hear from him even quite that frequently, but you got a chance to get a press conference opportunity from him there yesterday. This is really interesting stuff. And a couple of the things that Munkin said yesterday I want to highlight here for a moment because I do think it gives us a window into what could happen for Georgia here this season or, from my opinion, what I think needs to happen from Georgia this season. And as a way of beginning our conversation here, I want to start right off the top with Munkin yesterday. He was asked a question about uh, Stetson Bennett, and Munkin gave a relatively short and relatively direct answer, but in the midst of this answer, he uses one word more than one time, and it's a word that I think matters for the dogs this season as it relates to Bennett. Let me let you hear Munkin talking about his relationship with Bennett and the evolution of Stetson as a quarterback here in this Georgia program. This from yesterday. Take a listen. For sure. I mean, um, you know, being with the first group, being expected to be the starter, um, so it's invaluable. I think his confidence level is raised with our confidence in him. I think it's probably the most important thing. So Todd Munkin there says, hey, as the starting quarterback, being the guy that's treated as the starting quarterback, you know, during spring practice, right now during these summer practices, moving into the start of the 2022 season, that that has made Stetson Bennett more confident in himself, Munkin says there, and it's also raised our confidence in him. Presumably that means coaches and players and everybody else. They just sort of view him as QB1 right now. Now, we don't mince words when it comes to Stetson Bennett. We believe that Bennett as a player should have and likely has earned that confidence. Stetson Bennett had a good season for Georgia last year. Stetson Bennett was one of the component pieces that helped Georgia win a national championship. And you can look at any number of stats or any kind of array of you know, data that lets you know that Georgia offensively was quite good last season. They were eighth nationally in points scored. They were kind of top five in some of the fancy stat efficiency type metrics. You don't have to look very far to find evidence that the Georgia offense was really good last season. And yet, seemingly in the midst of all of that, there is still this like lingering debate about Bennett. You know, from some fans, but also sometimes from the media, where it, there seems to be this persistent belief that maybe Georgia doesn't quite trust Bennett as much as it says it does. And, and, and maybe there is good reason for that to be true, or whether there is good reason for that to be true or not, it just sort of is what it is, that maybe Georgia doesn't quite trust Bennett as much as Todd Munkin seemed to suggest it does right there. And if what Munkin actually said really is the truth, and if there is great confidence in Bennett for Georgia this upcoming season, 
then I think there's a pretty simple way that Georgia can demonstrate that. I think specifically Georgia can show its confidence in Bennett this upcoming season by simply trusting him more in the red zone. Because for all the areas in which Georgia was statistically great last year, this is one example of an area in which Georgia wasn't great. Now, it obviously didn't stop them from winning the national championship. You all, you all know that I've got the Coke bottle here on the desk that proves it. Georgia is the reigning national champion. So I'm not nitpicking what Georgia did last season. I'm suggesting if you're looking for ways in which Georgia can be better this season, then why not zero in on something where Georgia's not only was Georgia not great, it was essentially like, you know, no better than average nationally in a sport that has 130 teams playing at the uh, FBS level of the high division one level, Georgia was like near the national average when it comes to red zone touchdowns. Let me give you this quick number here for a moment. I'm going to promise not to beat you over the head with statistics, but I think this was interesting. Georgia scored 42 touchdowns in the red zone a year ago. That's a percentage of 60.87%. That means Georgia scored touchdowns just over 60% of the time and entered the red zone. That was only good for 63rd best in the country. They were tied with Tulane in that mark in terms of the number of times entering the red zone, the percentage of time in which that resulted in a touchdown. That's not very good for a national elite program. Georgia was not nationally elite in converting red zone opportunities to touchdowns. Now, I'm not going to chart the whole season for you because we don't have time to do that, but I'm going to tell you what you already know. If you go back and look at the game logs, and they're all available easily, ESPN.com has every game that Georgia you know, played last season. You can watch the entire play-by-play chart unfold before your eyes. Here's what you already know. Georgia runs the ball a lot in the red zone. You know, Georgia frequently runs it on first and second down, maybe tries to throw it on third down. But there are a lot of running plays for Georgia in the red zone, and I would suggest that one of the reasons why Georgia stopped short of scoring touchdowns in the red zone more than it did last year was this may be one of those places that Georgia just didn't quite trust Stetson as much as it should or just – you know whether it should or it shouldn't it just didn't seem to trust him right down there quite as much because if, if you're looking for one of the places that George is still kind of a run first team getting close to the goal line near the red zone sort of seems to be an example of that being true so if Munkin is as trusting in Bennett as he says he was yesterday then why not show that in the red zone why not turn him loose and let him throw when the opportunity to score touchdowns is there now as far as that wrestling match between Georgia kind of being a run first team and the sort of predominant philosophy we assume that smart possesses and what Munkin having come from the NFL what he possesses and you know, are he and Kirby arguing about this? Has Kirby, you know, convinced Munkin to be kind of a run first guy or whatever else? I mean, Munkin actually got pretty candid yesterday on his philosophy and George's philosophy and kind of how you meld all that together. And you know, this is a guy that that in, in Munkin's case just seems to be very comfortable just sort of saying whatever's on his mind. And I think he gave you some pretty good detail on how his philosophy that he's operated with kind of fits in with what Georgia has done under Smart, but what it's also required to be good right now. So let me let you hear some from Munkin on that, and then we'll build on the point after it. Actually, it's not a really a rhetorical question. It's fair in the fact that I do like to throw it. I think people think that I don't like to throw it. It's, and I'm paid to score. I'm, I'm not paid to win. I'm, part, I'm paid to add as part of that, but to score. But I'm also paid to be responsible to winning. And so there's a big part of that where uh, they think that, that Kirby dictates what we do on offense. No, he dictates that we be smart. He dictates that we be explosive and that we utilize our personnel, do everything in our power to win games for the University of Georgia. And that's what we should be doing. 
when I hear Monk in there, it kind of reminds me of an analogy I've used before. Maybe this is a dumb analogy, but it seems to make sense to me. You like rock bands. You think about like rock music over the years. Like there's a bunch of different ways to be a lead singer. You can be a good looking dude or a gal, whatever else. You can be a good singer. You can be charismatic. You can kind of be sort of weird. There's a lot of different ways to be a lead singer. But there's only kind of one way to be a good lead guitarist. You just got to be good at the instrument. You just got to be able to play the instrument. And I think the coaching sounded the same way. There are a bunch of different kinds of head coaches. There are some very serious head coaches. There are some kind of fun-loving head coaches. There are, you know, talkative head coaches, quiet head coaches. There's a lot of different ways to be a head coach, but there's kind of only one way to be an offensive coordinator. You've just got to know how to push the right buttons on game day, and that's sort of what munkin i think is kind of getting to right there of hey my job is to bury my head in this playbook and find something that works and that's what kirby smart expects me to do and i sort of get that from him and then he went into more detail about okay so what exactly does that mean in terms of when you run it when you pass it and how you meld all these philosophies together a little bit more from munkin on that point believe me when i'm thinking game plan wise i'm thinking about how we can be explosive and yet how we can run the ball to help us be explosive it all fits together and you can't control the game if you can't run the ball comfortably you can't you cannot control the game you can have a bunch of statistics that make it look better make you feel better but if you can't run the ball comfortably you can't win the game and that's from a guy who likes to throw it and my whole background's wideouts and quarterbacks so i do want to throw it i enjoy throwing it two years ago against mississippi state here We couldn't run it. We didn't run it very good at all. That was on me. We threw for 400 yards, thank God, and we won the game. Uh, Cincinnati, we turned it over a bunch and didn't run it nearly as well. Well, luckily, we could throw it. I think the biggest thing is, are you able to, when you're not having success at one or the other, uh, you're not just one-dimensional. You're not just a running team where, okay, we get behind, we're having trouble throwing it, or we're a passing team, Then when we have to run it, we can't. Um, But... You know, it's out there. It's part of it. It's unfair um, because you have to do whatever you need to do to win the game, and that's be explosive and not turn it over. All right, a couple of things there from what Munkin said. First of all, I remember when he was first hired as Georgia offensive coordinator, we went back and sort of dug deep from his past and kind of pulled audio clips from his time in Tampa or from his time in Cleveland when he was not the play caller in Cleveland, but he was, you know, officially, I guess, by title, the offensive coordinator. And some of the things that he said during those tenure you know periods of his career all of the audio clips we found from that time are a good bit different than what he said right there more committed to the run seemingly now than he may have would have been you know going back to some of his time during the nfl at least based on the clips that we've kind of shared with him in the past so it's kind of interesting to think about how um the metamorphosis might have occurred for him obviously moving from pro football back down to the college ranks having been head coach at southern mississippi one time before but beyond that maybe one day we'll kind of do a little bit more side-by-side comparison on some of that kind of stuff but beyond that Munkin gets into a point right there that I think is just obviously undeniably true. You do have to be able to run the ball if you want to win. And if you ever want to upset Georgia, if, if your recipe for doing that, if you're one of these teams that's trying to like play it close to Georgia and get a chance to upset Georgia, if you're not running the ball on the dogs, then it's not happening. That's one of the reasons why Georgia has this great defensive line because they're taking away this important part of the game right from the word go and putting teams at a disadvantage because they can't run it. Munkin's absolutely right that – that if you don't have the ability to run the football, your chances of winning the big games, the SEC games, it's just simply going to go away. He's right about that. But that doesn't change the point I was making a little earlier, that if you look at where Georgia has a chance for a value add, if you look at where Georgia has a chance to kind of plus the offensive performance of a year ago, 
more red zone production, turning more of those trips inside the 20-yard line into touchdowns, that's a big opportunity for UGA this year. And I believe there's plenty of evidence to suggest the way that you turn those trips inside the 20-yard line into touchdowns is by throwing it and not by running it. I want to give you this number from the NFL here really quick. And I realize NFL is not college football, but this kind of data is just far more available when it comes to the NFL. So we're going to assume there's some commonalities here. And it comes from a guy named Warren Sharp, who kind of covers this stuff at the pro football basis. But here's something that I did not necessarily know. Like, close your eyes, think about all the touchdowns you see scored in a Sunday, all these highlight plays, quarterbacks doing, you know, big fancy things. Did you know that 66.3% of all touchdown passes in the end zone in the NFL come from the red zone? 66.3% of all touchdown passes in the NFL are thrown from inside the red zone. 46.5% of all touchdown passes are thrown from the 10-yard line and in, a pretty short throw. More than a quarter, 28.1% of all touchdowns in the NFL that are throws come from inside the five-yard line. That down there, teams are just feasting in the passing game. And if you look at Georgia last year, turning potential touchdowns into field goals, or maybe in some cases not scores at all, relying a little too much on the run, where it's just harder to run the red zone. Teams are stacking the box. They're not worried about getting beat overhead because there's less field to cover. It's just hard to run it from inside the 20, hard to run it from inside the 10. And certainly as you get close to the goal line, it gets even harder to run it because there's just less field for the defenses to cover. In the NFL, they figured this out. A lot of teams throwing for a lot of success there in the red zone. And Todd Munkin says, we trust our quarterback. We have confidence in Stetson Bennett, and he has confidence in himself. I think Bennett should have confidence. He had a very good year a year ago. And I think turning him loose for even more red zone production and turning around a statistic that wasn't very good for Georgia last season, it's a great way for Munkin to demonstrate his confidence in Bennett. And it's a great way to see a Georgia offense that was very, very good a year ago take an even bigger step towards being even better here in 2022. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Kroger. Glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, whether you're checking in 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that. We can bring that music down just a little bit. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, maybe even a little bit more if you don't mind. Uh, you can also find us on the radio at noon on App and Sports Radio 96 The Ref as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com podcast kind of all across the board there boy that music's really loud i don't know if we can bring that down or not but uh just glad to have you as a part of the uh, program here today good stuff all across the board also big thanks to our friends at kroger for making it all possible of course kroger chef jr back from our friends at kroger right now uh, just in time for your summer planning got some all kinds of great stuff going on you can be a part of the kroger chef jr event coming up on august 13th and the 27th uh 13th coming up right now this weekend but 13th to 27th at select kroger locations each kroger chef jr is a great experience it's a 30 minute class your child's going to receive an apron and a patch a chef's hat a recipe card and a box and a pizza cutter and it's just seven dollars can we just kill the music can we just stop it all together i don't know if we have the ability to do that or not but that's just really really loud the point is uh kroger chef jr great way to uh enjoy some really really good stuff and it's seven dollars per child you can make a fruit pizza it's a really fun thing and it's all available to you online at krogerchefjr.com the word junior spelled out j-u-n-i-o-r krogerchefjr.com for uh, a lot more 
on that. All right, we've got Jeff Sintel here coming up in just a moment. We'll uh, talk to him about everything related to UJ recruiting, kind of an interesting time. And as a lead into our conversation with Jeff on that, I do want to go around the doghouse here, presented today by our friends at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. And I want to talk a little bit more about recruiting, specifically an interview that Jeff was a part of on Wednesday on Before the Hedges presented by Kroger. With the highest rated member of Georgia's 2023 class right now, that's cornerback A.J. Harris. And um, Harris, in the midst of a wide-ranging interview, Harris is a very good interview subject. Just really good quotes, really, really interesting conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think you should check out the entire thing on the Dog Nation YouTube page. I think you'll really enjoy that yourself. But in particular, there was one thing from Harris that kind of stood out to me that I wanted to share with you here a moment ago. One of the things we were talking about on our video comment section before the show began today, we do a first and 15 there at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app where people kind of have comments. We kind of react back and forth a little bit with each other. And one of the things that came up there was the way in which, hey, it looks like there are a lot of guys in this Georgia coaching staff right now who could be future head coaches. And, you know, you're constantly cycling through guys, you know. Dan Lanning gone to Oregon. Mel Tucker before that, leaving for Colorado. He's not Michigan State. Sam Pittman left as offensive line coach. He goes to Arkansas. That this upwardly mobile trajectory that so many of the coaches that Georgia hires are on, you have a situation where you're constantly needing to replace them. And listen, the 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 true top flight coaches are just as scarce as a commodity as the very best players. There will never be enough elite players to go around. That's one of the recruiting battles that we cover with Jeff or so fierce. Well, hiring the very best coaches, that's always going to be a big challenge as well because in terms of the truly elite guys, there are only so many of them and so many of the best programs are kind of fighting over those guys. So in some cases, you're making the obvious hire. You're spending big to get him and you're doing everything to keep him when you get him. But even with that, there are still a need to go out and hire other folks. And a lot of this ends up being about, can we identify someone that maybe the rest of the country doesn't know about yet? Can we find a rising star who hasn't quite gotten to the top level yet, but we believe is ready for that? That's kind of what Dan Lanning was. When Georgia hired Lanning, he was not a name of note really at all, had been kind of coaching the group of five level, and you see what he turned into while he was here. That's definitely what Trey Scott is. Trey Scott had a very thin resume prior to coming here to Georgia. He'd been at North Carolina, had just been hired by Ole Miss, but at the time, we certainly didn't see evidence that Trey Scott was going to become the nation's best defensive line coach, but at this point in time, he may very well be that. Uh, Kirby seemed to identify him as a rising star in a way that which his re- a resume wouldn't have quite suggested there at the time. Well, there may be some evidence that George is also doing that with its latest crop of assistant coaching hires there as well. Think about Fran Brown as cornerbacks coach. This is a guy coming down here from Rutgers who has a lot of ties to the state of New Jersey but not a guy that I was really familiar with really at all. And I follow this stuff pretty closely. You know, a lot of assistant coaches across the country, but Fran Brown was not really a guy that I knew necessarily all that much about. And yet pretty immediately, Brown is demonstrating himself to be the kind of incredibly valuable coach to Georgia's recruiting efforts. In fact, listen to how much praise A.J. Harris, five-star cornerback, number 30 over all, all prospect, according to the 24-7 sports composite team, a player rating. Listen to how much praise Harris gives Brown as to why Harris ultimately ended up at UGA. This is quite an endorsement for one of Kirby's most recent hires. Take a listen to this. And a lot of people don't actually know how much Fran actually played a role in me becoming a dog. For me, it I would say about two weeks after Coach Fran got the job, I'm like, okay, I want to be a dog. 
because when just the connection that we've built, like me and Coach Fran talked every day once he got the job, and that's no exaggeration. He reached out to me every day to make sure that I was a priority. And it wasn't just the, the casual talk. He actually got to know me past football. And that's something that, that I appreciate a lot because I'm more than just a football player. Um, I'm a man first. So just the fact that, that he cared for me past football and he just showed me the vision he had for me past, just past football, the community service hours, to helping the youth, all that really played a big role into me choosing University of Georgia. So once he he got the job, it played a huge role because I already had a relationship with Coach Kirby Smart, and Kirby Smart will always be in the DB room. But just to have a, another another figure like that in the room that that just cares so deeply about all his guys and just wants nothing but the best for them and has a vision for us, that really meant a lot to me. Like I knew I was a dog about one or two weeks into Coach Fran recruiting me. So. You hear that right there, and you're left with the conclusion that, A, Georgia has itself a very good cornerbacks coach in Fran Brown, but also, B, a guy like A.J. Harris willing to go into that much detail about what he likes about Brown, but also just a just a very interesting conversation. Really, I, I just think that's a, a really good moment from Before the Hedges presented by Kroger on Wednesday. And if you want to know more about Georgia's highest-rated commit thus far for its 2023 class – uh, a lot of that there on the Dog Nation YouTube page with Jeff Sintel this past Wednesday. That's really good stuff and quite an endorsement there of Brown, who obviously is doing very good things for Georgian recruiting and a lot of attention now on what he's going to do on the field, too, because, listen, opposite Keeley Ringo, there's a very important battle going on at the cornerback position. You're also thinking about getting a lot of very talented young players acclimated, maybe ready to contribute for you, like Slim Singletary and Dalen Everett and guys like that. There is a lot going on with uh, George at the cornerback spot, and it sounds like Fran Brown may be just the guy to kind of help figure all that out for the dogs. Let me also give you a quick update on this. So apparently the music was not too loud. My headphone volume is hearing the music uh, very, very loud. So uh, that is a little bit of an issue. So some of our commenters kind of cleared me up on that. So apologize for bringing you all into all that, but, uh, but very distracting. Uh, nonetheless, uh, glad to have you here. Also, big thanks to our friends at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services for making Around the Doghouse possible for you here today. And listen, we love what they're able to do for you because this is a time in which a lot of folks are contemplating making a big move. You know, you've heard about home values being on the rise. You want to take advantage of that. Maybe you've got a place that you want to move to. Maybe you've got a reason you need to move, like a big new job, something like that. When it comes to a decision like that, to uproot your family and go somewhere else, obviously you want to put your trust in a great realtor to help you get that done. That's where our friends at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services can kind of come in on that, getting you the most value with the least hassle when it comes to selling your property, but also when it comes to finding that new home for you and helping you know everything you know, need to know, kind of navigate that experience. That's what Berkshire Hathaway Home Services is all about. They're a full service brokerage, uh, got you know all the services that you need, great agents, great team there together, working hard for you to get you everything you need. That's what Berkshire Hathaway Home Services is all about, whether you're talking about residential or you need to have a commercial need, you're looking for a new uh, building for your business, whatever you need, Berkshire Hathaway's got you covered across all of that. So please make sure you check them out online. It's 29 different offices. It's 1,500 uh, associates working hard to you to take care of your real estate needs here in the metro Atlanta area and all across the state of Georgia. So please visit bhhsgeorgia.com. That's bhhsgeorgia.com. They'll get you in touch with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Uh, The best time for new beginnings is right now. 
and they've got you on all of that, whatever your new beginning is, new home, new commercial property, maybe you're looking to invest, all of those bases covered by our friends at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. We're glad to have them here as a part of Around the Doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily today. And we're also happy to have Jeff Centel on board here there too. More from him on A.J. Harris and the other things going on right now with UGA Recruiting. Let's cover all that as we go on the road, assisted by AAA with Jeff Centel here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll sell it to Jeff Sintel on the road, assisted by AAA. And Jeff, I'll bring you in on the conversation we're just having. Very interesting, compelling interview with A.J. Harris on Before the Hedges, presented by Kroger uh, earlier this week. We, in particular, played some of the audio of him discussing his relationship with Fran Brown, which I thought was really interesting. But beyond that, what is your overall takeaway uh, after having spent some more time with Harris, the highest rated commit for Georgia in this 2023 class thus far? What did you think of the conversation the other night? Well, uh, good morning. Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, well, I, I can say this. I went into that interview from knowing Harris and his family for a couple of years now, at least. Uh, I went into that interview thinking it was going to be like Javon Bullard, Jalen Walker, Christian Miller, you know, Malachi Stark, that, that type level of a good interview. And, uh, he didn't disappoint. I think it was one of the better ones we've ever had on Hedges. First of all, Brandon, this may make you smile on a Friday morning. Uh, I was talking to Tamarian Parker, recent Penn State decommitment, and there's stories there. But he told me, he's like, you know what, A.J.? <clears throat> A.J. is basically like the craziest Georgia fan you know that is a five-star and talented and going to go play football for the school. He shared an example that school's been in session in Central Phoenix City all week, and he said he has not seen A.J. Harris once this week not wearing a piece of Georgia gear, a piece of Georgia clothing. He basically wears Georgia 24-7 all the time, representing his future school at his new school right there. And this is one of the most you know, passionate, diehard ambassadors of the class you could ever ask for. I mean, everybody's concentrating on you know, the names, you know, the names, Tyler Williams, uh, Samuel Mpemba, uh, Hakeem Williams. Everybody's concentrating on those names, Jordan Big Baby Hall, Monroe Freeland, um, and, and what Georgia's class doesn't have. And, and what A.J. Harris says is, man, he just goes, I love our class. I love the way it's built. It's built around people that love Georgia, that want to be there for Georgia, to be Georgia Bulldogs, and they're all great football players. I had a, I had a commitment tell me recently. I asked them, you know, who's, your, who's the guy in the class that, you're really happy to see in the class. And he uses some spicy language, and we can't use some of that spicy language for such a family-quality program as yours. But he basically went on and on about A.J. Harris and how he's such a special player both on and off the field. Well, that's great to hear. Really good stuff, Jeff. Something else that Georgia fans are watching pretty closely right now is what's going on with Hakeem Williams. Now, Williams has recently dropped his, I guess, final list of finalists, but also a commitment day coming up here in the month of September you know, it'll finally be decision day when it comes to Williams. The perception I get right now is if you get sort of outside the bubble of dog nation, kind of away from Georgia fans here, you know, I don't necessarily get the sense that a lot of folks are giving Georgia much of a chance on this, but inside the bubble, it still is a little bit of a conversation. How realistic do you think it could be that Georgia could win with a guy like Hakeem Williams, which would obviously be one of the biggest 
gets that it's still available to Georgia here in this recruiting cycle, how realistic does it remain with Hakeem Williams in your mind? Yeah, I think realistic is a good word. Likely is a different word. Um, I, I'll tell you this, Brandon. My my personal feeling here is I, I, whatever decision that Hakeem Williams makes on this September 23rd, I don't think it's going to be his final decision. I think he's going to look and see what a school like Texas A&M does. He'll look and see what a school like Georgia does. Um, I, I just don't think that that's one. And, you know, to be frank, you can guys can – search anywhere you want on the internet you, you, it's going to come become clear to a lot of folks that i think nil will will influence this decision a great deal um we all have seen the reports and heard the stories and i've heard the stories about how texas a&m has you know not been as robust with those nil packages as most might have thought with the 2022 class and i think that's one thing that people will be paying attention to i think they'll be paying attention to you know, all these recruits and how great this recruiting class is. And they'll wonder what happens if uh, Texas A&M loses another four games this year and goes four and four in conference. I think that's one thing to, to kind of keep your mind on, Brandon. But I will I'll just share a really quick history lesson as well. Because a lot of times, even in this age of NIL, where we think we know what's going on, uh, sometimes history kind of just comes back. And, you know, Brandon, at this time last year, I can just remind you, Michael Williams, he was committed to uh, USC, Jaheim Singletary. Uh, he was committed to Ohio State, Dalen Everett, committed to uh, Clemson. Let me see if I can go on and on. Ernest Green was thought to be an Ohio State lock. Marvin Jones Jr. was not even on the radar at Georgia. Everybody thought he was going to wind up in a place like uh, Oklahoma or in-state, maybe to Miami. I, I, it's still, Brandon, it sounds like a tried-and-true staple, but there's a lot that will happen uh, over the next four months. But I will agree with this major point, Brandon. September, end of September, Brandon, when everybody starts feeling good about the Georgia football team, they're going to love that offense. They're going to love the tight ends. They're going to love A.D. Mitchell. They're going to start seeing flashes of the freshman running backs, uh, all the new faces that are sprouting on defense. Right about that time will be a crucial week for Georgia recruiting because not only is Hakeem Williams going to make his decision on the 23rd, but Tyler Williams is going to make his decision on September the 27th. And, you know, people like to fall off the cliff a little bit too early when it comes to Georgia football recruiting, and that will be uh, that will be a week where the hotline will be taking a lot of calls. Yeah, no question about that. And you know, one of the things we've kind of heard from Hakeem Williams before is that you know he is looking to see how some of these teams perform. I guess early in the season, uh, in terms of his decision. Now, sometimes guys just sort of say that just to be saying that. But in Georgia's case, I mean, you know. Can they turn up the offense on the field this year? And whether it's a Tyler Williams or a Hakeem Williams or just you know somebody else, maybe even for some future class, I mean, how much can more offense from Georgia? We should point out that Georgia still probably better last year than it was given credit for offensively, and by now that's a sort of well-traveled conversation. But, but nonetheless, for a lot of these receivers who have taken a very wait-and-see approach to Georgia and kind of kept the program from an, an arm's-length distance – you know, can Georgia do something early to impress these guys, or does it end up being more about you know NIL and things like that than what's actually being demonstrated on the field? Uh, well, Brandon, that's a lot of good stuff there. I think uh, I'll just try to sound like a, a founding father of the Constitution here. I hold the following truths to be self-evident about the Georgia offense. I think the top four pass catchers on the team will be better in 2020 two than they were in 2021, especially for the balance of the season. I think Georgia will have a bigger offensive line. I do feel that Warren McClendon, Broderick Jones, and Cedric Von Prong-Granger will all be better. 
I think if it's uh, Devin Willick and it is uh, Tate Ratledge on the inside, they're going to be able to push and move the guys a lot better with bigger guards. I think Kenny McIntosh has the ability to be pretty spectacular at Georgia all around, um, catching the ball out of the backfield, running between the tackles. Uh, I feel like Georgia's offense, when you get Stetson Bennett being the guy and having the confidence to get all those great first-team camaraderie reps during spring training and also during the fall, um, and plus the fact that he's going to be a 24-year-old, almost grown man for most of his senior six-year senior season, Georgia's offense has to be better. I think a guy like the really the remarkable improvement I will see from uh, Brock Bowers in year two and A.D. Mitchell in year two and then what Mr. Uh, Eric Gilbert will bring to the table as well. I think Georgia's going to be more explosive. I think they'll have to be more explosive, and I think uh, this is a year, Brandon. We keep tracking this ratio on before the hedges a whole lot. Georgia was very uh, right-handed last year with its defensive prowess of its class. This year's class has to be left-handed. It has to develop a lot of offensive punch, and we still look at the we look at the commitment board, Brandon, for the five highest-rated commitments in the class. Those are on the defensive side of the ball. It's another stellar defensive class, maybe an all-time defensive class. Uh, and you've got to get more of those playmakers on offense, and I think what Georgia will put on the field, what Georgia will do when the box scores, uh, I think it will be very indicative and very refreshing to folks who want to see a lot more offense out of Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things going on here. There's the thing that contributes to winning, and there's the thing that contributes to recruiting. And sometimes it's what contributes to winning also helps in recruiting, but not always. Like what Georgia did a year ago is clearly a recipe for winning and winning national championships. But if we're like really zeroing in right now on kind of a micro topic of, you know, what's it going to take to win with more receivers like Hakeem Williams or, you know, to a degree Tyler Williams there as well, then that's a little bit of a different kind of conversation. When From a Georgia fan standpoint, they simply want to be elite recruiting everything. That's obviously what Georgia's trying to do there as well. And like, there's no doubt that if you're just going to zero in on receiver in particular, it's going to take a lot more to really stay in the top of mind conversation with guys like Hakeem Williams. I mean, one of the things we talked about this week a little bit is, hey, I think that Brock Bowers may have a thousand yard receive a uh, thousand yard receiving season. Well, somebody else has kind of got to be in that sort of 800-yard range this year, too, about what Bowers was a year ago. Now, yesterday, Todd Munkin says he thinks George Pickens could have been a 1,000-yard receiver had he not gotten hurt, and he's probably right about that. That's the kind of talent that he is, but unfortunately, the injury did occur. Well, you know, this year, whether it's getting more out of a three-star guy or getting a former elite recruit like Dominic Blaylock fully healthy or a guy like Kiaris is just sort of hung around and, you know, kind of now ready to maybe come into his own fully or you know playing tight ends that look like wide receivers I mean it's got to be more than just Brock Bowers this year having that big statistical year if you really want to have the best sales pitch to to pass catchers like Hakeem Williams you already know that but but that seems to be you know pretty obvious when you listen to guys like Hakeem and and others do some talking doesn't it yeah Brandon and I've always thought uh I've always thought through my experience that when you win a championship it doesn't immediately impact the, twin, the, the next cycle. So for Georgia, I don't really think that the 2021 championship is really going to really going to impact the 2023 class. Of course, the 2021 championship was won on the field in 2022. By that point, a lot of 2023 guys have a lot of their minds made up, or at least fully I mean, a little bit down the track, a little bit down the road. What I'm seeing there with Georgia and Bounce and uh, Oomph is in the 2024 class. I want to make sure I mention on your program right now that the 2024 class, recruiting-wise, offensive-wise, 
looks downright scary. They have three uh, commitments right now, and all three of them are electric game breakers. You got the number one tight end, you got a top ten wide receiver who's another top seven overall recruit, and you got this kid. Um, you know, out of now he's out of Maryland, but he was out of Florida the year before, out of Cardinal Gibbons, and uh, you know, Toby and Mizell Brand. I think one of the most underrated parts of his game that I didn't even notice at first glance is, you know, he ran for about 600 yards uh, last year as a sophomore, but he had like 400, 500 yards receiving as well. And that's the type of back Georgia getting that type of guy that also can run the four three, can run a ten six in the one hundred. You really just don't see. Of course, there's some you know, information floating about that he, despite three schools in three years, maybe it might be able to reclassify to the 2023 class. And that would be a kind of haymaker for the uh, Georgia offensive class in 2023 to get a little bit saltier. But, you know, the greater thing there, Brandon, is you keep looking at all this offense. And I agree with you. I think they do need to have, you know, they do need to have Brock Bowers around a thousand yards and they do need to have a receiver. Mind you, I think a receiver somewhere, maybe that's AD Mitchell, um, hopefully that's the best uh, thing Georgia needs to see. You see a receiver right there up around 800, 900 as well. But I think this year's passing game has the ability to get another guy, be it a Dominic Blaylock or an Eric Gilbert, in that 600, 700 range as well. So then all of a sudden you start talking about Georgia's top three receivers with 1,000 yards, 800 yards, 600, 700 yards. You're almost at 2,000 yards right now. And I think the big thing there is Georgia's quarterback needs to get over 3,500 yards passing to where uh, the recruits can really see Georgia and do things a little bit differently. I think a sleeper guy for that along those lines, is I think McIntosh can end up with around 300, 400 yards receiving as well, the way he plays the game. And all of a sudden that passing game, Munkin being paid to score, uh, that was the big headline this week, of course, the passing game in Georgia offense, Brennan, it looks a lot more volatile, and I think that's what people want to see and need to see. I think that's interesting. Frank Patterson on YouTube wants me to ask you more about uh, Tavani Mizell. Did I hear you say the latest commitment to Georgia, the 2024 running back, there's a chance he could reclassify as a 2023? Can you tell me more about that and then maybe just a little bit more about him as a player in general? Yeah, so Georgia currently taking uh, two backs. We remember the 2025 commitment a while back as well out of Pennsylvania. But, you know, Mizell's a kid that, you know, he's a guy that, you know, Cardinal Gibbons likes to throw the ball around a lot you know, that type of program they always had. You always look at their teams and they have a lot of electric, you know, 3,000, 4,000 yard passers. But they got a sophomore running back, almost 400, 500 yards receiving. And, you know, despite the fact that he's transferred a couple of times and Brennan, he's in the weight room, he's weightlifting championships, powerlifting championships, track championships. He ran a 4.30 laser in the Rivals camp. I don't know if he's that fast on film. He doesn't play that fast on film yet because he's a, just a budding sophomore. This will be his junior year, but um, he's been timed at 10.56 before an injury, a hamstring, and then he was at 10.94 on a recent workout in the 100. And he's already over, over 200 pounds, Brandon, and that's what Georgia going to take it back. It's over 200. They'd like their backs to have a lot, some meat on their bones and to bring power through the holes. And there is some talk. There is some discussion now. That, that golf ball is not on the green yet. That golf ball is probably, you know, halfway down the fairway right now. But they're thinking, there's the thinking that they might try and kick the tires on whether or not he can reclassify and get it done. Of course, that means a lot of extra classes. Uh, reclassification would not come with an early enrollment. Reclassification would come with a May enrollment, uh, mind you. But uh, there's a chance that he could put in the work in the classroom if he chooses to, Brandon, that is a very daunting proposition. And for a lot of families, it's also kind of expensive. 
um, to get all those credits and to take all those online courses. There is a chance, I would call it an outside chance, that he might be a guy that comes in in late May like an Andrew Paul or a Branson Robinson um, that could be a mid-year, could be a June, May, June enrollee in 2023. And all of a sudden, running back stuff with 2023, the backs you didn't get, the backs you wanted to get, uh, if you drop a talent like uh, Silvani Mazel in there, all of a sudden you've got a big-time running back in the 2023 class. I want to ask you about a story that you wrote at DogNation.com this week about a guy you and I will actually get to see in person coming up in a few days. Before that, though, let me remind you that we're on the road, assisted by AAA with Jeff Sintel here today. Of course, we appreciate all the things that AAA does for us, including getting your home insurance through AAA and taking advantage of some of the great features and benefits that come your way because of that including the disappearing deductible. You love the idea of that. Your deductible is going to be reduced by $50 for every year that you can go claim free, up to $500. It's one of the many options offered uh, when it comes to AAA and their home insurance. So make sure you check them out online, AAA.com slash home insurance. That's AAA.com slash home insurance. Or call 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075. Seven five. So, Jeff, you had a great story the other day about Lawson Lucky, tremendous tight end prospect on his way to the University of Georgia, big legacy to the Dogs, also to that Norcross program. You and I are going to work together for the Brookwood-Norcross game next Saturday in the Corky Kell Classic inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But for a Georgia program that's gotten very used to having the best tight ends in the country as both recruits and as players on the field, Lawson Lucky sort of feels like that next one, doesn't he? He does, Brandon. And one of the things I tr- we try to do there is, you know, one of the, one of my missions is I'm not just going to write about the commitments and the targets and the guys. I'm not going to let the big time commitments uh, go four or five months without seeing a byline on Dog Nation or updates or really, really big stories. And you know, when I looked around at Lawson, I've been watching him for a while. And here's the thing, Brandon. I'm totally honest. There's no way there's three tight ends. There's no way there's two tight ends in the state of Georgia right now in 2023 that are better than Lawson Lucky. And there's a misconception out there that, you know, Lawson Lucky's just going to be this brawler. He's going to be a street fighter. He's going to play some H-back. He's going to play some fullback. He's going to put his hand in the ground. He's just going to maul people. He's going to be that grinder, that, you know, club bouncer that's going to seal off the edge for a lot of things for Georgia to happen in the passing game and the perimeter passing game and then outside run. It's really not that at all, Brandon. It's, it's totally wrong. When you look at Lawson and what he can do, there's a confidence there that he could even play receiver. There's a confidence in there, and he even expressed it when I started talking to him about it. He does feel that there's a misconception about him. They don't know what he can do. Maybe he's not in the most tight end showcase offense at Norcross, but he came out and said it, Brandon. He's like, dude, I don't want to sound cocky. I don't mean to sound cocky by this, but I think I'm the best receiving tight end in the country. And that was a headline. That was something that I think folks needed to know, that they're getting a lot more. I think Lawson Lucky was probably the most misunderstood commitment in the Georgia 2023 class right now because the Dog Nation as a whole doesn't know what they're getting in Lawson Lucky. And I thought it was very interesting that story comes out. And the all-time one of the goat of goats receivers at the University of Georgia, Terrence Edwards, basically doubled down on it. He says that uh, Lawson's route running, the way he moves, the way he comes in and out of his breaks, the way he runs his routes, some of the best he's ever seen at the high school level. You've got a guy there that – Everybody thinks that Lawson's just going to be that get-in-the-dirt grind guy, but he's really going to be a tremendous asset in the passing game. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I was saying this to our video audience earlier. 
it's kind of an interesting coincidence that as Georgia has become this great tight end program, a lot of the guys they have brought in to be that are out of state guys. You know, Bowers from California, Darnell Washington from Nevada. Think about all the great tight ends, though, that are currently in the state of Georgia. I think it's probably the deepest position in our state here for the class of 2023. And one of the best players, regardless of position, in the class of 2024 is a Georgia tight end commit also. Uh, you know, from the state of Georgia here down there in Calca County, but between what Ethan Davis at uh, uh, Collins Hill and John Thurman and uh, Langston Hughes and, you know, uh, obviously the you know, big guy up in Rome. I mean, like they're just good tight ends across the board. It's really amazing how deep the state of Georgia is when it comes to very good tight ends right now. And obviously Lucky, whose dad and brothers all played for Georgia, he's he's a big part of that too. But this is a very deep position for our state at the moment. Another thing you got to remember, Georgia's other tight end commit, Brandon Pierce Sperling III, we wrote about him this week. He grew up in the Walton district. He grew up in the Walton uh, community football program and until he moved to uh, beautiful 30A to spend his high school years looking at those beautiful beaches and those emerald waters, uh, he was, you know, a Georgia tight end as well. He's, he's going to be a third generation dog. I love that story we wrote about Pierce this week. Um, how we got to, I got my, I got my fingers and toes out on that one, Brandon. I calculated a Pierce Sperling commits in September of 2020, but that was before Stetson Bennett ever started a game for Georgia. Man, has a lot changed since then. And, uh, there's actually been 63 other Bulldogs commit or sign with Georgia. Wow. Since Pierce Sperling the third committed to the dogs way, 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 way back in uh, September of 2020. And this is a guy, I love this story. I didn't even know this detail. Some readers pointed it out to me after um, publication. I think it was a gentleman on Twitter by the name of Randy Wolf, something like that. Hopefully I got your name right there, sir. But uh, he remembers Pierce Sperling as climbing trees at the tailgate at Sanford Stadium every Saturday before everybody went in to watch the dogs play. And kind of the way we started things on the topics today, Brandon, A.J. Harris is one of those fanatical dog fans that happens to be a five-star corner. And then Pierce Sperling, another guy that went to those middle school Kirby Smart camps and were shaking Kirby's hands at midfield, uh, being MVPs of the camp. This is another guy that somehow you cut him, he probably bleeds Georgia red and black. Uh, he's probably got a great Munson impersonation, and yet he's an All-American, the number two tight end in the country going to play for Georgia. Jeff, that's really fascinating stuff. Thanks for being here on the road. Assisted by AAA here today. We'll look forward to reading a lot more recruiting stories from you at dognation.com and, of course, chatting with you back here on the program, on the road, assisted by AAA, again, very soon there as well. Hey, thanks, Brandon. Everybody be safe out on the road this weekend. We'll see you next week. All right, good stuff there from Jeff Sintel. We'll kill the SEC through music here today if you're just joining us. Had a little bit of an issue with, like, the audio mix in my headset, so I was hearing this music very loud a little earlier. Apparently the audience was barely hearing it at all, so as a way of keeping me from being distracted and trying to figure out what's going on and what's not, let me just not do the sec through music today but nonetheless even sans music will still say uh, hello and cruise around the sec courtesy of our friends there at royal caribbean and what a great time it is take advantage of that great savings opportunity that's still out there when it comes to royal caribbean and act on this right now because it's about to go away i'm talking about your chance to take advantage of kids sale free 30 percent off all cruisers that opportunity is available for you right now but it's about to be gone so make sure you take advantage of that our friends at the uh, cruise and vacation authority can help you at tcava.com that's tcava.com you can also give them a call 770-952-8300 that's 770-952-8300 we think a good travel agent can help you make the right 
decision with the best Royal Caribbean cruise ship for you because the various cruise ships, you know, go to different places and they have different specialty restaurants on board and, you know, different entertainment experiences. And in some cases, there may be one that's more perfect for you than the others. And so we want you to find that out. Maybe speaking of perfect, you want to make sure you're going on an itinerary that includes perfect day, Coke, okay. Well, who wouldn't want to do that, first of all? Once again, a great travel agent can help you out with that. Our friends, the Cruise and Vacation Authority included. So this is the time to make your decision about when you want to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. As we head towards fall of 2022 or think about early 2023, I've got two on the books for myself coming up here very soon. And I'm excited about both of them after the season is done, of course. Uh, job first, then play second. But nonetheless, it is going to be a great time. And our friends, the uh, Cruise and Vacation Authority, can make sure that's true for you there as well. So find them, take advantage of great savings, and get booked up on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation here today all right so we have a very interesting story coming out of the sec and obviously this portion of the year we would usually never talk about basketball at all unless something happens kind of like this have you seen what's gone down with john calipari at kentucky so calipari is lobbying to have a new practice facility built for his uh football program or should say his basketball program and in the midst of arguing for why this should be done and trying to convince the those that control the purse strings there to open up and give him what he wants, he says, we here at Kentucky are a basketball school. He says, Georgia's a football school and Alabama's a football school, but we are a basketball school. Then he kind of, uh, you know, kind of gave a little bit of a, I guess, concession in the direction of Mark Stoops. Hope they win 10 games, so they go to a bowl, whatever else. But we are a basketball school, essentially insinuating the basketball should get whatever it wants. Now, the football folks over there have gotten very upset. Mark Stoops has spoken out publicly about this. Some former players have kind of spoken out publicly about this. And this is one of those rare moments where there's a pretty big level of infighting going on within the program. Some folks are lining up behind Calipari because Kentucky kind of is a basketball school. And they want Calipari to get whatever he wants because they want the basketball team to do well. There are some folks who kind of want Kentucky to be good at football, too. And they're like, hey, Calipari has totally undercut the Wildcats recruiting efforts because, honestly, that's the most common negative recruitment tactic that probably gets used against them. Do you really want to go to Kentucky? That's a basketball school. When you get the basketball coach stepping up and saying this and kind of belittling the football program in the process, then all of a sudden that makes the job of Mark Stoops that much more difficult to do now i find all this to be pretty fascinating because this is real and it is raw and you don't have to go very far on social media to find a lot of wildcats fans really at each other's throats over what calipari said here and for me what it kind of re-ups is something i've said before i think i'm a pretty big sports fan in addition to being a georgia football fan and you know the stuff we do here on dog nation daily I'm sort of just a big sports fan in general. I try to follow all sports. I don't follow them as closely as I used to because I am so entrenched into Dog Nation and the SEC and football and everything like that. But I just have always been a sports fan. So I have a lot of opinions about a lot of sports. And here's the one thing I always think about when I think about Kentucky basketball. I think being a Kentucky basketball fan is the single most miserable experience of any sports team you could cheer for. I don't know that any fandom is any less rewarding in recent years than what it has been to be a Kentucky basketball fan y'all they don't win anything now they recruit amazing every year they had a long stretch of being either number one or number two in recruiting year after year after year essentially them and Duke they have an elite recruiting class coming in again this year a lot of those guys who've come through the Kentucky program the recent years worth of one and done's They've gone on to the NBA. Many of them had great success there. In fact, there are a lot of Kentucky players in the NBA who are way better in the league than they ever were there at Kentucky. And John Calipari doesn't seem to be bothered by this 
at all. He seems to be more than happy with his program being a little more than just a stopover for players on their way to the NBA. And listen, we're not against players and their professional ambitions or anything like that. But if you're a Kentucky basketball fan, like how much joy do you get out of that? Like how much enjoyment do you get out of watching your players come through your program, seem half interested, half paying attention, poorly developed from a from a fundamental standpoint, get going on to the NBA, having great success, and you get to brag about that, I guess. But what about what they did while wearing the big blue uniform in recent NCAA tournaments, including losing in the first round of St. Peter's this past year? There hasn't been much to brag about. And then Calipari goes so far as to basically like you know undercut the football program because he's got even more that he wants as if he hasn't already been given enough resources this is a guy who said his previous accomplishments essentially erased final four trip uh you know at memphis taken away from him final four trip at umass taken away from him because of all kinds of ncaa alleged improprieties that's kind of the background for john calipari this is supposed to be the place where he establishes himself as one of the all-time greats it's not really happening. And I say that as a guy who's had respect for Calipari in the past, but results have to matter at a certain point in time. So on this particular issue, I sort of find myself siding with the Kentucky football folks who are saying, who is John Calipari to be saying something about us after the you know early exits he's had from the NCAA tournament as of late? Yes, Kentucky is as regal a basketball program as you can ever imagine, but on a yearly basis, the football team still generates more revenue because football is just more popular than basketball across the board. You know, Kentucky may be a basketball school, but football still, for the most part, does more to pay the bills, especially compared to the relative cost of the two programs because of how much Kentucky spends on its basketball team. So in this particular case, count me among those who think that John Calipari is a little out of line, and he should probably shut up all the way around until he starts winning a few more games that matter in the month of March. Uh, I saw where Garrett Nussmeyer, the LSU quarterback, it's like a relatively young, seemingly talented guy, hasn't played a ton. Uh, one of the guys may be in competition a, a bit. I mean, it's mostly thought to be a Jaden Daniels, Miles Brennan competition to see who the LSU starting quarterback is. But they did have a scrimmage yesterday. Kind of weird, I think, to have one on a Thursday, but nonetheless, they did. And Nussmeyer apparently did not participate because of a little bit of an injury situation there. So I bring this up because of kind of what we said yesterday, which is, Talented teams who have an unknown commodity at quarterback, one of those teams probably figures this out, whether it be A&M or whether it be LSU or whether it be Florida or even I wouldn't even completely eliminate Auburn from this discussion. One of these teams that has a relatively high level of talent, if you can find quarterback, that's a team that could become pretty dangerous. And of the four schools I just mentioned, the odds are one of those teams will either have a pretty record or it be at least a little bit dangerous in some of the games that matter. But in the case of LSU yesterday, one of the quarterbacks who's to a degree maybe in that competition. And at a certain point, you kind of wonder, well, if he's not competing yet, then when is he ever? And that's been kind of an issue for a lot of quarterbacks at LSU. The the maturity, the blossoming just sort of never seems to happen. But for Nussmeyer, we'll find out once he's uh, back healthy again what he's able to do to kind of contribute to some of that. Uh, I saw where Jerry Palm, who's kind of one of those longtime, like he's not really an analytics dude, but he's been kind of doing numeric-based college reporting forever i'm talking about early days of the internet was doing what was it called college he used to do basketball stuff like college rpi or did collegebcs.com for a while now he worked at cbs and he's got his projected college football playoff his top three are exactly what you think they would be georgia in the playoff along with uh alabama and, Cle- uh, and uh, ohio state the fourth team for palm though is the one that i mentioned the other day i told you before that i 
am semi-interested in taking a little bit of a flyer on Oklahoma to make the playoff, maybe more so than a team like Clemson. Jerry Palm's got them in his playoff there too. And it's also worth pointing out here that the two playoff games really matter. The one semifinal game way out west in Arizona, the next semifinal game right here in Atlanta at the Peach Bowl. So we've said this before, this is one of those years for Georgia. It's more than just being in the playoff. Seeding matters. This would be a very good year to go 13-0 because if you're not, if it's Alabama who's the 13-0 team, that means that you're going to Arizona for the semifinal game, coming back home, continue your preparations, and then going back out west again to play in L.A. It's a little bit of a tricky scenario for the team that has to do that. So last year we saw both SEC teams make the college football playoff, Alabama and Georgia. The result of the SEC title game ended up not mattering very much. But this year, that result probably matters a little bit more because even if it is easy to rubber stamp George and Bama into the playoff, as Jerry Palm from CBS has done here, seeding is going to matter. And being the best team playing in Atlanta, presumably the number one seed would get their chance to do that, way better than having to go to what might end up being two West Coast road trips if you want to win the national championship. I remember 2017. That was a big deal for Kirby because that year there was only seven days between the semifinal game and the national title game. Georgia being out in California, I think that was something that they were a little bit concerned about, getting home as quickly as possible, getting ready. Not an excuse because Kirby's not like Saban. He doesn't make a constant stream of excuses. But I, I do think they wanted to get back from California as quick as they could back then because that West Coast travel is a pretty big deal. And for one team this year, you may be asked to travel east to west a couple of times, and that could be a little bit of a challenge. And just looking at the Jerry Palm uh, piece at CBSSports.com made me think more about that. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, there is something here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger that I've been wanting to get to for a couple of days. We just haven't had time to. So there was a great video the other day, which you've probably seen by now, of Jordan Davis talking about winning a rep. This is more than winning a rep. If you're watching a video, you can see this. It was captured by a guy named Rich Bussy on Twitter. And Davis is just mauling some dude. And this guy, I don't know who it is. Maybe y'all do. He's trying to plant his legs. He's trying to get a wide base. He's trying to bring an end to this humiliation. And Davis is just unbothered by the entire thing. I mean, I mean, he, he could have pushed him all the way back down to uh, Mallard Creek. I mean, this is a guy that's just absolutely mauling guys at the NFL level, much the same way he did for most of his senior season in college here, too. And the video's gone viral. It's been shown a million times. You've probably seen it by now. But the thing that was so remarkable to me about the entire ordeal was the level of humility that Davis sh- showed about it. You know, he's in a big city now. He's in Philadelphia. There's a lot of media that covers the Eagles. That's a big deal up there. And coming in, southeastern Pennsylvania, making a name for yourself up there, uh, it's easy to imagine a lot of rookies might want to do that. And they might like the idea of being bragged on a little bit as a way of you know, getting some attention for themselves. But in Davis's case, he's the same humble guy up there getting paid a bunch of money in the NFL as he was down here at Georgia. And it's really remarkable to hear how he kind of just sort of begs off of the whole thing and really lets it be known that he is not a fan of this viral video that everybody's seen now. This is so good from Jordan Davis. I didn't want the week to end before we played it. This is Davis from up in Philadelphia. I hate it, honestly. You know, um, I just feel like it's uh, it shows it's very one-sided. You know, you see one repping, but you don't see Cam just, you know, blocking me and, you know, getting me at practice and, you know, getting me in the other rep. So, you know, um, I always say, you know, looks can be deceiving. So, uh, you know, one rep and it goes viral, whatever, whoop de whoop. But, you know, Cam is holding his own. He's a very good player, and it's just good competition. It's iron on iron. So, you know, you see the background of everything, but um, don't let the don't let the hype get to you. 
two things from me on this. Every moment we spent promoting JD to NYC, Jordan Davis for the Heisman Trophy, every moment we spent doing that was a moment that was well spent. If there is anybody ever that deserves to be a first-round pick, if there's such a thing, or deserve national attention, he didn't get the Heisman, but he did get the Bednarik and the Outland Trophy. If anybody ever deserved that kind of thing because of the way that he carries himself, clearly Jordan Davis is just one of those guys. And that clip tells you everything you need to know totally deferring to a teammate being excessively humble did it a million times here at georgia and i am so glad we hyped that guy up as much as we did because guys like that ought to be getting more attention and as much attention as possible here's the second thing that kind of stuff is not easy to cultivate in a team and yet when you listen to the georgia coach we've heard from four different georgia coach actually five different georgia coaches this week thus far if you count kirby smart over the course of the last week i should say if you count all those up we've heard from five different georgia coaches And one of the themes that comes up over and over again are guys playing together, guys being good teammates, guys working and being cohesive and all that kind of stuff. And I know it's so easy for that to kind of go in one ear, not the other, because it just sort of sounds like the kind of thing a coach is supposed to say. But is there any denying that made Jordan Davis special because he did have a lot of that last season? And is there any denying that finding a way to kind of get that back again this year is obviously very important for Georgia, that sort of team first mentality, that sort of you know, you know, big team, little me, putting my own accolades underneath the accolades of the team. You know, clearly that worked for Georgia before, and finding that again is obviously something you'd want to try to do. But when you hear Davis do that kind of thing, deferring to a teammate as effortlessly as he does, it is very easy to remember, or, or maybe easy to forget, I should say, that that kind of stuff just does not come natural for everybody. And kind of finding that selflessness that creates the perfect team environment Georgia obviously trying to conjure that up this year, much the same way that Jordan Davis had that for the dogs in the past. And with that said, we'll get ready for our big finish here. We do it each and every Friday, presented by the Finish Long Drink. It's a chance to celebrate some of you who are enjoying yourself some Finish Long Drink. And I always love to see this because, honestly, I like to see our audience having a good time. We around here want to have a good time, and the Finish Long Drink is certainly a part of all of our good times. We want you to have one there, too. So as we head towards the weekend, and the finished long drink is seemingly made for the weekend. As we head towards the weekend, let's celebrate some folks having some fun with the finished long drink. We'll show you our first example of this. How about our buddy Seth Rhodes? And I told you before, the long drink is available at a lot of golf courses. You see it just a lot of golf courses all the time. I was at Eastlake the other day, even a big fancy course like Eastlake. Finished long drink right there, and everybody's enjoying that up there too. And uh, Seth Rhodes checks in on Twitter to say he's enjoying a finished long drink while working on a short game. So a uh, nice-looking shot there of Seth getting some work in at the uh, driving range. And I also got the finished long drink park next to that. Looks like Seth's having himself a great time, and I'd love to see that. that Seth, thank you so much for sharing that. Also, going back to Monday, a lot of you remember uh, that we had a little bit of an issue on Monday where my Wi-Fi just completely uh, disappeared on me. Yeah, there you go. I'm just burning up in the heat. Uh, Wi-Fi disappeared. I had to step outside while wearing a suit and tie. I was at the Corky Cal kickoff luncheon. And uh, John Stinchcomb, we're doing the interview with John, of course, the great former Georgia All-American. And when I dropped out, John essentially had to kind of keep the ball in the air, or at least he helped us out choosing to, could have just hung up the phone himself if he wanted to. But he chose not to and kind of kept the show on the air, which we were incredibly grateful for. So one of our commenters on the show at dognation.com said that uh, John should get free finished long drink for life for what he did. Well, I don't have the power to extend free finished long drink forever to John Stinchcomb, but he certainly deserves himself at least a good old cold can of the finished long drink for the way that he uh, took good care of us on Monday. And hopefully you get a chance to enjoy some of that yourself. 
maybe even pick up one of those eight can variety packs because it includes four different uh, finished long drink varieties. You get two cans of each of that. If you want to go to longdrink.com, you can find out more about where to pick it up and uh, the different choices that are available to you and kind of how you can get some. Just put in your zip code there and you can find some that's near you. Long drink cranberry, long drink strong, the long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar, long drink traditional, which is grapefruit flavor, gin kick. It's a ready to drink cocktail. It looks like a beer, but it's a ready to drink cocktail right there in a can, ready to enjoy, easy to uh, just uh, have a great experience with. So check out the finished long drink for a lot more on that. All right, the risk of kind of blowing out my ears because my headphone volume is all messed up. Let's fire up the fight song and let's finish the show here for today. All right, so we will give you out a golden shoe here today there as well. Always having a good time doing that. We talked some Stetson Bennett off the top of the program. So let's do a Stetson Bennett-themed golden shoe on the way out the door here. And once again, a member of our audience showing a good bit of creativity here. Uh, bark a lot on Twitter. Robin checks in to say, BA, I create a little golden shoe for you after listening to the show today. Hashtag Stetson for Heisman. And it's that picture of Stetson showing the first day of school meme thing that the uh, players did the other day. Except it's the sign turned into a Stetson Bennett with the Heisman Trophy. And Stetson's sort of air quote here says, okay, I delivered, so why not me? And I think that sounds like a very good idea. Why not Stetson Bennett? Trust him in the red zone. Let him throw the football. Turn some field goals into touchdowns. And maybe Stetson Bennett could really be on his way to New York for that Heisman Trophy celebration as a Heisman Trophy finalist. Good stuff, Barkalot. Golden shoe winner for you for today. How about our Gator Hater Updater? 4,964 days since those lousy, stinking Gators have won a national championship. And our Gator Hater Countdown, dogs back in Jacksonville, 78 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. Y'all have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger.